joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer as we kind of get into our lesson this morning. God, we thank you for the chance to be here today. We are blessed in so many ways. Help us to count those blessings, every opportunity that we get, to just live a life of gratefulness. And regardless of what's going on around us, God, help us to always keep our focus and our eyes on you. Uh, be with us this morning as we look to your word and, and talk about uh, maybe the, the difficult week that has uh, been behind us, that we have come out of in, in so many different ways. Uh, help us to search uh, your word for comfort, uh, for action, um, for, for answers even at times, God. As be with us, let your spirit dwell within us as we uh, spend time studying this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want everybody to do this. I want everybody to take a deep breath together and just let it out. A good cleansing breath is always a good thing, right? How many of you this week have needed a few good cleansing breaths? Any of you needed a few good cleansing breaths? We're coming out of, and I sat down at the beginning of the week, kind of thinking about um, what, to, what to preach on this morning. And we, we, we've come out of a series, and here in a few weeks we're going into another series. We kind of have this time in between where there's really nothing on the schedule, particularly that, uh, that Jonathan or I, either one, planned on preaching on. Um, and so with uh, the events of the last week, though, uh, the word tragedy, the word tragedy ha has been used a lot. Uh, in conversations that I've had with people, in, in the news that you watch, uh, in the social media posts that you see, this has been a week starting with the storms last weekend. Uh, we, we have the, the tragedy that happened in Nashville that when those type of moments happen in our schools, uh, within our country, it touches us in a different way, doesn't it? It, it touches our heart and, and causes questions in our soul in maybe ways that a lot of other things don't. Um, we come to the realization that moments like uh, that moment in Nashville has become just a, a part of our society, even though we don't understand why uh, and, and don't understand how that could happen. Uh, we, we have to wrestle with that and try to figure that out. Aside from kind of those moments, I know in my own life this week, I have had a number of personal conversations, not with people uh, connected to Ninth Avenue necessarily, but just friends from from other places and other churches who are dealing with tragic moments in their life uh, and looking for answers and searching for answers. And the more those conversations happened, the more I was drawn to this particular thought of when the world gets me down. Uh, Tuesday morning after uh, the events in Nashville, Jonathan and I sat down and, and as we do many Tuesday mornings, it's the first day that we're in the office together, we kind of talk about well, the weekend that we've come out of and the week that we're going into, the sermon that will be preached that following Sunday and, and ideas and thoughts, regardless of who's preaching, of, of what could be said and what could be touched on and what needs to be spoken into. And one of the things that we agreed 
uh, on is that responding to tragedy is something as Christians that I think at times we have difficulty of really framing and putting into perspective where things need to be. But as I turned to the Word of God this week and looked at a lot of different thoughts and ideas, one of the things that became very clear to me is that tragedy, unfortunately, is normal. Tragedy is common. But just because something is common doesn't necessarily make it easy, correct? Uh, We like to think that the more you go through something, the more common something is, the easier it becomes. But as we look through Scripture, we see a lot of different moments in Scripture uh, that that refer to the challenge of tragedy. Job chapter 23, verses 3 through 5. We know that Job faced uh, a, a sudden onslaught of tragedy. And as he's sitting with one of his friends in this moment, this is what he says, if only I knew where to find him. Who is the him that he's talking about here in this moment? It's God, right? If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. So he's lost everything. Job has lost everything. And his initial response as he's talking to one of his best friends is, if I could get a face-to-face conversation with God, I'd have some things to say to him. That's a very natural emotion. I believe when we face moments of tragedy, moments of, of trials, moments of challenge, it's, it's natural to look at God and go, hey God, what's the deal? What's going on here? Some people may say that it's wrong to question God. I believe it depends on your motive. I believe it's wrong to blame God for things, but maybe not to question God especially if you are searching for truth, if you're searching for understanding and you're willing to accept God's answer. If you're just like, hey, it's all God's fault, then that's a little bit different. But if you're really trying to find things out, we find ourselves sometimes in the situation that Job was in. And we look at God and we go, God, if I could just have some time with you, I've got some things I would like to say to you and I would appreciate a response. That's not the only time we see this. In Psalms chapter 22, David kind of has the same type type of moment. Psalms 23 is the great psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's this moment of of great profession of who God is in David's life. But whatever was going on when he wrote chapter 22 seems to be something different, right? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who else uses those very words? Jesus himself, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. And then to verse 11, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Even the man after God's own heart looks at God and goes, Where are you? I need you right now because of the challenges that I'm facing. Even Jesus himself faces overwhelming emotional moments. In Mark chapter 14, as he's preparing himself emotionally, mentally, even physically for his death, he prays to God. This is the beginning of that story. He says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, 
Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Even in this moment, Jesus himself is struggling with the nature of what's fixing to happen to him. He's overwhelmed. And, and to me, where it says, going a little bit further, he fell to the ground, it's like he went as far as he physically could. And then he just collapses into prayer. Sometimes our life does that to us. In Revelation chapter 6, we have just one more moment. It says, when, the people, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had uh, maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? There's this moment in this story of Revelation where, where those that have been uh, murdered for the cause of Christ, they look to Jesus and they look to God and they say, hey, how much longer are you going to let this go on? This tragedy, this challenge. And, and, and I, I string all of those things together to say this. Tragedy is a real part of our life. Tragedy is a real challenge that we face. And no matter how many moments we face together or by ourselves, they never become any easier. And in those moments, we have times where it's natural to look at God and go, hey, what's the deal? It's easy to look at God and go, are you going to just let these things keep happening? And it's even easy to say, God, are you even there like, like David does? And so how do we respond to these moments? What, what, what do we look for in Scripture? How, how do we have our what would Jesus do moment to, to get to a place of, of maybe understanding and comfort and peace in the middle of tragedy? And, and, and that brings me to this question, how did Jesus respond to tragedy? Well, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, actually talks about a couple of moments, to be honest with you. I've never really heard it preached on or taught about because... It's kind of moments that Jesus, kind of some stories that Jesus used that I think gets lost in, in the bigger picture of Jesus. But he starts right here and he says, he's dealing with moments of tragedy is what he's doing. He, he's pulling out historical moments of tragedy to make a couple of points, but we don't talk about those, those tragic moments very often. He says... Now, there were, some, uh, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish perish. So there's these two stories that are, that are kind of being told right here in this moment with Jesus. The first is a tragic moment. A tragic moment of, of Galileans coming into Jerusalem, coming in to offer sacrifices, and Pilate sends in a, a group of soldiers basically to massacre these people and to mix their blood with the blood of sacrifices. It's a tragic moment. And then the second moment that he mentions here is a moment where 18 people died because a tower fell on them. Uh, historians believe that this is some of the, uh, the Roman aqueducts, uh, things that were being built through Jerusalem at the time, the, this, this Roman infrastructure 
that was coming about in the day of Jesus in such a magnificent and beautiful and um, engineering uh, phenomenon kind of way, but something happened, something happened that caused this great tragic event. And these two moments, Jesus are, uh, and the people around him are recalling. And so I think it's important for us to know that Jesus dealt with tragic moments. Jesus dealt with tragic moments. And his first response to these tragedies may seem, may seem, I don't know, interesting, but his response is what? Repent. His response to both of these moments are, you need to repent. There's a lot of questions that are going around it. When, when these tragic moments happen, I'm sure they ask questions just like we ask questions. Uh, he, he refers back to both of these moments. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in that way? Uh, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? There's this spiritual kind of concept that bad things happen to people who are living bad lives that is kind of in the mix here. And so there's some people going, hey, they died because they were doing something wrong. Wrong, you know, and it's tragic, but hey, it's their own fault. Then there's also this idea maybe of, of the tower falling, of whoever was in charge of that. Should there be punishment? Should there should someone be held accountable for those things? There's a lot of who and why and how questions that are going on and circulating, just like they do in our lives. And Jesus' response to this is one word. What is it? Repent. Does that seem out of touch a little bit? I don't think so. Because I believe in this moment, he reminds people of the bigger picture. I think that's the first thing in moments of tragedy that we have to remember. That even in the saddest and most tragic of moments, there's always a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is Jesus. That bigger picture is Jesus. That no matter what's going on, Every single day of our life, as Christians, as disciples, our message is come to Jesus. When tragedy falls around us, our message is come to Jesus. You know, a lot of times we get sucked into things that we don't need to focus on. Sometimes we get sucked into the politics of the moment, to the social issues of the moment. We go down rabbit holes to try to make sense of this and that so that we can maybe have some answers to what's going on in our own mind. But the answer every time is always who? Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer to a broken world. A broken world cannot fix the world's brokenness. Does that make sense? A broken world cannot and will not and never be able to fix the world's brokenness because we broke it. Our sin broke it. The only person, the only thing, the, the, the only God that can fix the brokenness of the world is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's easy to get caught up in the brokenness, but we must always remember that the answer to our brokenness is always Jesus. Always Jesus. But then the second thing I think we realize about Jesus and the way He responds to moments of tragedy, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is that Jesus grieved. When tragic moments happen in the life of Jesus, Jesus grieved. We see that in the life of Lazarus, right? We, we read that story a few weeks ago, that when Lazarus died, what is the most famous, shortest verse in the Scripture that Jesus says in that, in that chapter? Jesus what? Jesus wept. 
And it's important for us at times to realize that we need to be weeping people. Paul says this to us, and I believe this is a command. Okay, This is a command. We, we, we live this in our life. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That there are times in our life that we are going to be just, just overwhelmed with emotion because of the tragedies that go on around us. And in those moments, whether they're our tragedies or the tragedies of someone else and they touch us in our heart, it is okay for us to mourn with those people. As a matter of fact, we're told to mourn in those moments. That when great things are happening, rejoice. When challenging things happen, mourn. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. That's how one of my favorite songs puts it, God's family. So we realize that, that Jesus mourned and comforted people in that way and even found comfort from others in his mourning. I think it's easy for us to sit around and just think about Jesus as God and to forget that Jesus had feelings, that Jesus had the emotions, that Jesus had the struggles, the challenges, the tragedies that we face in our life as well. And we can approach him because of that. That's what the Hebrew writer says. We can approach him with confidence. So how do we live this out? Uh, okay, it's like, okay, yeah, that's good, Matthew. Jesus did these things. Jesus, uh, remember the big picture, grieve with those who grieve. I get that, but how do we live these things out? Well, three things that I think we can take away. In moments of tragedy, the first thing is this. We need to take time to recalibrate. We need to take time to recalibrate. One of my favorite moments of Jesus' life comes at the end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's in John chapter 6. He's fed all these people. He's had this great miracle. And it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he had this great moment, but then he had this challenging issue a disruptive issue that was going on, that these people decided, hey, you're going to be our new king. And Jesus knew, hey, I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to be the king of the kingdom that he was coming to establish, but not anything earthly. He didn't want this to become an issue where, where it's my kingdom versus your my kingship versus your kingship on an earthly level. So as he sees this rumbling going on and he sees that, hey, I'm not going to be able to talk my way out of this. They're just going to do this forcefully. And, and I think that there's more to that because to forcefully make Jesus king meant they had to forcefully force out, it's a lot of forces there, the old guy, the current king. It wasn't just going to be, oh, you're our king today. No, we're talking civil war stuff here, guys. It's going to be a tragedy. But what does it say Jesus did? He withdrew again to a mountain. Where? How? With who? By himself. Boy, we live in a fast-paced world, don't we? Where it's moment after moment after moment. Our schedules are packed. Our schedules are full. Sometimes they're, 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 they're just overflowing with things we have to get done. And then a, a challenging moment comes in and our world falls apart because we try to deal with this challenge and this tragedy while continuing dealing with all of these other things that we have going on in our life. But there were moments. Jesus had the most important schedule of anybody to ever walk the face of the earth. Agreed? The most important schedule. But there were times that Jesus did this. Recalibrated. He got away. All by himself. 
I was on Facebook the other day and I read this, this title of this article. I didn't read the article. I think I've watched a video on this before. But it said, the quietest, it said, no one can stay an hour in the quietest room on earth. And it's this room that's acoustically supposed to be the quietest place you can ever go. And I looked at Blair and I go, dare me. Dare me to sit in the quietest room for an hour by myself. How many of you think I don't have an hour this week? I don't have that kind of time. Sometimes life demands of us to just slow down and be still and know that He is God. Like I said, in, in, in these tragic moments, our world creates so many other distractions, whether it be political distractions, political conversations, social conversations, all these different rabbit holes, like I said, that we go down. And, and a lot of times we, we, we go down those rabbit holes and we try to get involved in those things because we think it make, helps us make sense of all these things. But the only thing that we really need in those moments is not more information, is not more questions, is not more answers, it's more God. And a lot of times Satan wants to use all these other things to distract us from the one thing that we need. And so we need to turn off our phones. We need to turn off our computers. We need to shut our kids' doors. And we need to go somewhere alone and just recalibrate and be with God. I believe that's one of the biggest things that we miss in our life so often because of our busyness. But just take time to be with God. The next thing is this, we love we love. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. Who are the despised Samarian, Samaritans and crooked tax collectors in your life? Think about that. Who are the despised tax collectors and crooked Samaritans or, or, or vice versa in your life? Or, or yet, think of it this way. Who are the people in your world that feel unlovable? Who are the people in your world that feel unlovable? One of the easiest things to do in life is to not love the unlovable. To look at people and go, hey, they are too messed up. They have too many problems, too many challenges, too many issues. I can't help them. Well, let's, let's, let's say some truth into that statement. You're right. You might not be able to help them, but you know someone who can. You know a God who will. You know a church family who has resources and who has people to love in challenging moments. We were created to be a place of love. The thing is, though, we have to go do it. Jesus tells us to love our who. Love your neighbor. What if your neighbor lives a lifestyle that you totally disagree with? What if your neighbor lives a lifestyle that you look at and you go, that's as sinful as it is? You know what he says to do? Knock on their door and take them a pie. Love them. Treat them like every other neighbor that you love. Even if you look at them and go, I can't love them. They've got too many problems, too many challenges. You know, if we really loved that way, do you know what we would need this morning? A much bigger room. A much bigger room. If we loved our neighbors the way God tells us to love our neighbors, there would not be enough, there would not be a space in Haleville large enough to hold us as we come together and worship this morning. See, we live in a culture and a society now where they don't choose their church based on their doctrine anymore. That, that, that's not what people are looking for anymore. 
I'm not saying when they get here, we don't teach them that. We don't instill those things in them. It's still an important part and a core part of who we are as a church. But the reason people come now for the very first time is because of the amount of love that they see in that place. That's what draws them in. We need to be a church that loves and helps brokenness and encourages people that regardless of what life and challenge that you've got going on, you're going to be loved here. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love shows so many different things to so many different people. So in moments of tragedy, we need to make sure that we're still loving the way we need to love. And then the last thing that I see in Scripture is we've got to spend time together. The, the story or the, or the moment we share from Jesus' life from the book of Mark, the beginning of that story on back in Scripture starts on the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. And it sets the stage for the whole night of everything that's going on in Jesus' mind. And he starts that night off with dinner with friends. On the night Jesus is going to be betrayed, he starts the night off celebrating the Passover, one of the happiest and most joyful celebrations that the Jewish people have. It started out of a, with a night of togetherness, a night of conversation, of laughing, of storytelling, of joking. Now, in that time, he institutes the Lord's Supper. He washes the disciples' feet. But that is a joyous occasion. Even though he knows what's coming, he starts the night with friends, with his brothers, with those that he loves the most. And then he goes to pray, and he takes all of them with him, and then he takes his closest group of friends and says, come the rest of the way with me. I want to spend a little more time with you. And then he says, I want all of you to spend time praying with me. And he goes and he prays, and he comes back to them, and he sees that they're asleep, and he talks to them for a minute, but he wants to know that they're there. And he goes back and prays and he comes back and there, you know, but he wants to know that they're there. He wants to spend time with these guys. It is so important in any moment, especially in moments of tragedy, that we make sure we spend time together. I'm going to tell you what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to a hundred of us being in Nashville this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Listen, it's going to be exhausting. It is. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be real fun watching Brian and Patty because they're taking Leo with them. And Patty's going to be exhausted. And exhausted Patty is funny, Patty. It's going to be funny watching Jonathan and Catherine with two kids there this year. Catherine's like, it's not going to be funny. Yet. And I'm not going to say it's going to be funny for you. It's going to be funny for us. You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun because we're going to be together. I don't know if you've noticed, there's some other people that love Jonathan here today from Kentucky. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. A group of 10 or 12 or so of them. We got, uh, some of us got to meet them um, when we uh, moved Jonathan. They were, well, they sent a lot of people to move him out that day. And it's taken them two years to remember that they loved him, so they finally came and saw him. We understand two years in, we get it. But the moments that they've spent here this weekend, traveling from Frankfurt to here and back, y'all have created memories, haven't you? You'll remember this trip forever because of the memories. Because you were together. Because you were together. It's so important 
as a church family, that we spend time together in fellowship. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, you know this is my favorite passage. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Say that again. And to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Those are all four important things, but to the point we're making, it goes on and says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Keep it going. Every day they continued to meet how? Together in the temple courts. They broke bread. Where? In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You've got to have all of these things. You've got to have all of these things from 42 to get to 47. And a lot of times in our churches today, we put fellowship lower down on the list than all of these other things. We've got to make sure we're doing all these doctrinal things. Well, fellowship is doctrinal. Fellowship is required. And when true fellowship happens in the mix of all the other things, the Lord adds to our number those who are being saved. But what it also does is it gives me a safe place to land when tragedy strikes in my life. When I don't understand what's going on, when I have questions about God, where are you? I can walk into the room with this family and I can say, hey, I'm struggling. And I know it's a safe place to land. So we have to be together. When the world gets me down, it's going to. It's going to get you down. There's going to be something that happens this week that you're going to go, man, this is tough. This is hard. This is heavy. In those moments, remember Jesus. Remember He's the most important of all. Focus on Him. Focus on Him. Recalibrate your life. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Be still before God. Love and be loved by your church family. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the time to be with you this morning. God, we know that so many people are carrying heavy things in their life today. That people have walked in with burdens, with challenges. And God, we just hope that they walk out with relief, with comfort, with peace this morning. Help us to encourage those who are in need. Help us to love those who have lost. God, in those moments that we look at you and we do wonder why, help us to not blame, to truly seek your answers and to seek your comfort. Because we know we're going to be like David and ask you where you are sometimes. We know we're going to be like Job and want to walk into your throne room and demand a response. We know we're going to be like Jesus and be so overwhelmed that we just fall. In those moments, God, help us to rejoice always, to be thankful, and find that peace that transcends all understanding. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. 
Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. And Twitter. Morning stars began. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.